Hello, and welcome to the Radical Fabulatorium. I'm your host, John Adam Ian. On today's episode, I welcome back Julia Wright. Julia is the Information Morning host for CBC Radio 1 in St. John, New Brunswick. And this is her second time coming into the Radical Fabulatorium. This chat was recorded live during the radio show version of the RadFab, which airs on Sunday nights from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Atlantic Time. You can stream it anywhere in the world at www.localfm.ca. In this chat, we discuss the music scenes we both grew up in and what were some of the original bands, uh, both local and touring, who drew our attention to the local music scenes. We talk about how recording has changed and how it's quite a bit easier these days for local bands to produce quality recordings and distribute it across the globe. We discuss how both our sets of parents were tolerant and allowed us to kind of explore the music scenes growing up somewhat independently. We discuss broadcasting through a zombie apocalypse. We play some tunes by Gary Flanagan, Mort Garson, and Josh Hicks. Julia educates me on the pronunciation of Moog, or is it Moog? We go on a journey to the moon, believe it or not. And we discuss identical twins in astrology star signs and come to a conclusive decision whether they are real or not. Enjoy. All right, welcome back to the Radical Fabulatorium. I'm your host, John Adamian, and we just heard Welcome to the Dazo. Is that how you say that? I think it's Dazo or Dazo, possibly. Okay, by Chicks Dig It. Before that, we heard William Shatner with uh, his cover of Common People, along with Ben Folds, and I believe Joe Jackson's in the mix there too. And before that, we heard Disco UFO Part 2 by Mort Garson, and A Thousand Times by Josh Hicks, and now I'm joined by Julia Wright, who you just heard a brief second ago. Hi. Hey, Julia. Nice to be back at the Fabulatorium. Yeah, thank you for coming to the Radical Fabulatorium. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty uh, radical It's a little warm in here, it too, and we're waiting for a snowstorm outside, I'm yeah. told. That's right. It could come in handy. Yeah, it's uh, maybe this will be like a sleepover edition. Where <laughs> Sleep, yeah, like we can go all night. all night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Br- we could turn it into a fundraiser. Oh, man, this is like Fun Drive Part three yeah yeah fun drive part three (laughs) (laughs) all night fun drive yeah that'd be funny get snowed in i'm sure it's happened to somebody at some point yeah i don't know on the unb st john campus Mm -hmm. yeah because it's kind of tricky i mean the roads aren't super great getting out here and like it's not exactly walkable so Mm -hmm. you know if you if if the snow started falling fast enough and you were here late enough for class like i'm sure someone has just crashed on a couch yeah or maybe in this room definitely we do have a couch right next door Maybe they're still here. Maybe they're the ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> they got snowed in and got lost. I really liked uh, your idea for the show. Oh yeah, you did? Yeah. Well, yeah, because you were like talking about how um, you wanted to look back a bit on the scene and yeah, you grew up in Sussex and mm-hmm. I grew up here and uh, they're two very different, but also overlapping music scenes. Yeah. So I thought it would be an interesting chat because like who doesn't like to think back on their high school days. Absolutely. When they're in their thirties. Yeah, that's right. That's what getting old is all about. Looking back. (laughs) And using those lessons to hopefully do cool future now stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You can appreciate what was important back then and also kind of stood the test of time. Like it influenced the music I played tonight, just us talking about that idea. And I was listening to all these bands I grew up listening to in high school, like Galactic 77 and the Ditch Pigs. And it's still solid tunes, solid music. Production was way more difficult back then. Like you couldn't just easily record 
into Pro Tools the way you can now and pitch shift everything. It and was so much more work. Like you had to be more. really sure that you had something before you recorded it. Absolutely. Yeah. You had to be rehearsed or it would show, you know, like it would, it, would, it was way more obvious what was a demo and what would be considered a, a release. Tell me about the ditch pigs in you. Like, what do you remember about seeing those guys? Ditch pigs? So, yeah. um... I would think like in the Venn diagram of New Brunswick music, like you got Fredericton, Moncton and, and St. John and Sussex was like right in the middle. Mm-hmm. I just kind of realized that tonight. So Sussex, I got to take in all the scenes and Moncton was one of the first scenes me and my buddies would check out uh, because of the message board, Moncton Locals. And Don Lavandier, who sings in the Motor League now, that was his, I don't know if it was his first band, but it was a band back then when I was in high school. So like 2003, 2004. And, uh, he would actually just talk to us. Like he was someone who we looked up to him as a songwriter in a local band. Cause me and my friends were just discovering local music and he would just take the time to talk to us at shows. He would uh, talk to us like on ICQ and MSN. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, a vibe. Yeah. That's such a good time. You should tell him that, that he had an influence on you in that way. I'm sure he's still playing and around. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. He actually co-produced my last record. So, Oh, well you have yeah. told him then you could have him I on have the show. Him. Has he been on the show yet? I've invited him. Yeah. Uh, and it's a standing invitation. Once he hears this, he's going to be like, I have to get on it. that show. Yeah. It's well, going to be so good. I never did tell him though, as we were recording, there was moments of me sitting there, you know, like thinking back to being like 17. Being it made like, me think, damn. That, well, I was younger than 17 actually, but, uh, Chuck Stiggett, the band that you just played. Yeah. Welcome to the Dazo, Dizo, whatever. Um, they played a show at the Knights of Columbus Hall, which is now the Kent Theater on mm-hmm. Coburg Street. And um, they, the opener was a band called De Bloody Gashes. And De I Bloody remember, Gashes. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I brought, bought the shirt as a 15-year-old. And I had no clue that it was A, a double entendre, or B, like not appropriate to wear to school. Uh-huh. And it also had like, you know, a hand giving the, I'm doing like the devil horns the with horns. my hand right now. Yeah. yeah. And I remember there being <laughs> some commentary from my mom and teachers about how that shirt didn't really work for the classroom. But uh-huh. that show was actually, I remember that very clearly. It was a uh, fun music to yeah. dance to. And it was like nothing, uh, you know, like nothing too deep, nothing too serious, just really good musicianship and uh, these really punchy songs that mm-hmm. made me realize that I like punk. Yeah. Basically. Well, they're nice pop sensibilities. And uh, yeah, we were talking before it's we came on here. Yeah, it's, it's pop punk. Yeah. And we were talking about how that's nice to have. Not, sometimes I do go down the rabbit hole. I don't know if you do, but of like really serious music all the time. Or really heavy music. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, really heavy music. You're playing music some too. really heavy music. I yeah. was listening earlier. Yeah, that was probably Galactus 77. It was definitely or, Galactus 77. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like that can be if you're feeling some type of way, you know, and a way to express that. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's also a moment for let's just bop around and have a good time. Just enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. So is that, so the Knights of, that show, who, who, um, that was at the Knights of Columbus. Yes. And that was one of the first local show, like shows you went to locally or first punk band? Like uh, where that did that sit in your music? That was the first punk band here? I ever saw. Although okay. I was kind of hanging around with punks in high school. I was, uh, always felt like a bit of a poser, to be honest. I think that anyone who hangs out with punks who take themselves seriously feels like a poser because they make you feel that way sometimes. Okay. You know, they're like, oh, you don't really have a hole in your pants. You just put that patch on to look cool. I'm like. You know, <laughs> it's true. Okay. Yeah. So the punks you were hanging out with were trying to make you like say you're not punk enough? 
Yes, definitely. I mean, they're really um, hardcore. Like actually one of the guys, uh, BJ just passed away, sadly, like God rest his soul. He was like an incredible musician. He went on to do some incredibly avant-garde, uh, cool boundary pushing stuff in Halifax. Years later, he was still playing music and okay. uh, it was this like, it was just a cool crowd of people that were hanging around in a squat on St. James Street. And that was where I was hanging out in high school. So, I mean, when you think back, it's like, wow, you know, it's like you driving around to shows when you were 16 from Sussex to Moncton to St. John to Fredericton. It's like, that's, that's, that's intense, you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm sure that there are kids that are doing that now too. It's just, you know, when you look back, it's like, wow, that was a lot of effort I put into seeing music and mm-hmm. being part of a scene. Did it, it didn't feel intense at the time though, did it? Uh, did sometimes it? it did for sure. I mean, yeah. It was one of those things that it could have gone one or two, one of two ways. Like I always sort of saw myself as being outside of it, but very much um, spending time within it too. Like I, I never really felt like I fit in completely with any group really at that age. But so I, I, I had my, um, my sporty friends because I grew up skiing and I was like on the ski team randomly, but I was also hanging out in the squat on St. James street with um, gutter punks, cross punks basically. So <laughs> okay. I felt like I sort of bounced around from different in different social circles at that age. So, but the one common denominator, the thing that like I, I would always make sure to make time for was like going to see music in the evenings after school and okay. like hanging around uptown until whatever show started and just catch whatever was happening, whether it was like a jazz show at the art center or whether it was punk show at the Knights of Columbus. Okay. Yeah. I would always try to stick around and do it. So you're open to other genre. Would you, would you go just to explore like a new genre or did you knew what, did you always know what was playing before you went? Uh, no, rarely actually. It was usually based on the poster. You just like look to see what posters were around town and then um, like just taken out of it in my journal usually. And then uh, whatever it was, go to see it. Cause it would be a place to meet people, maybe get a free coffee if it was at the art center, Okay, you know, just uh, see what, what was happening. And it was uh, sometimes great and sometimes not my taste at all, but it's uh, that was a big part of high school for me. It's like just- going to see music. Taking it in. Yeah. What was the all ages scene like back then? Uh, in my memory, it was fantastic because yeah. there was something called Night Train at the St. John Arts Center that was a weekly all ages thing, which was more of a singer songwriter or folk jazz vibe. And then there was the Knights of Columbus Hall, which had shows. There was an all ages venue that Sam Blue, uh, Raven Blue, uh, who's still around town and doing all ages and artist venue stuff, he cool. ran on uh, Prince William Street. Canterbury street in the, in the John law building. And, uh, that was like a, I think nine month project where he got funding to open it up as an all ages venue. Cool. And, uh, that was where the very first show that I ever went to was. So it was, uh, it was a really cool project. I think that there are still things like that happening in St. John's like Haven, you know, mm-hmm. it's an all ages venue yeah. at least part of the time. So yeah, they just had a Sold out all ages show, I think. Which Jen is Grant. awesome. Yeah. I love to see that because uh, that's so needed. You know, it's like kids don't realize that they can play music and what the vibe is like at, sh- at shows that the, until, unless they have an opportunity to go, right? Mm-hmm. And if it's all about drinking and you have to wait till you're of drinking age and go to bars to do it, yeah. it's a less healthy way to experience music. I agree. So for me, um, being able to go to spaces where there was a dry show and you know, it was, uh, there were other kids my age there also playing and listening to music. It was good for me, mm-hmm. I think. And they're appreciative, eh? The crowd, the younger crowd usually appreciates. We're still here talking yep. about it, you know, <laughs> like 20 <laughs> years later. So, so it's like, I definitely appreciate it. <laughs> I think indirectly, that's probably why I'm got interested in radio. Okay. You know, it's like just, uh, always being interested in promoting local music and how local artists work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you like telling, I mean, you obviously like telling other people's stories, right? I do like that. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of stories came out of those spaces. You know, a lot of the people who were involved in those shows are still in St. John and still making music. So mm-hmm. it's cool to see. Yeah. It's cool seeing those, those same people still active. Like yeah. the Penny Blacks come to mind. Uh, Penny Blacks come to mind. Judd yeah. Crandall comes to mind. Like he's still doing posters for shows and things like that and playing music and um, like Raven Blue with his venue, you know, and he's still working on getting affordable spaces for artists in St. John. The, the work continues. Mm-hmm. Was it better in 2003 when I was in high school? No, I don't think so. I think now actually there's probably more opportunities for people to do stuff. Like you said earlier, it's, you can also release music so much more easily now. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Both recording it's way easier and just getting it out to the world is incredibly easy, which of course means there's a lot of noise. Like there's a lot of competition. But uh, yeah, it's really interesting. When you were, so when you discovered the local scene or local shows here, were you already into music at that point or was- Music was way harder to get. So, I mean, at that point, the way that to access new music was Napster Mm -hmm. and- uh, Bearshare. Yeah. And Bearshare and LimeWire and all those file sharing kind of tools that we had back then. So- um, it was kind of hit or miss. Like often you would wait for months for something to download for like the person to be online who had that file so that you could get it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, the adrenaline rush of finally hearing music that you wanted to hear for a long time was, um, it was a lot different, I guess, than it is now. So, I mean, I had, um, bands that I liked and CDs that I collected, but, um, I, m- my access to music was so much more limited, I guess mm-hmm. now then than it is now. Um, so was I into music? Like, yes, but in a limited way, I didn't have exposure to a lot of music that mm-hmm. wasn't top 40. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause like much music or CMT or whatever at home was like the main source of tunes in the radio, yeah. local radio. But did it always seem like the artists, like the musicians were out there somewhere? Like they were just, yeah, yeah. they did. And, uh, I, and I knew that they were out there somewhere in St. John. So that mm-hmm. was why I spent a lot of my high school evenings just going to random shows, no matter what they were, because you never knew when you were going to find something amazing. Mm-hmm. For me, an amazing thing was uh, like Gary Flanagan, for example. I think <laughs> yeah. I think you went to see him too, you said, in, in Sussex. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. He would come to shows there. He like reviewed my high school punk band's record. He even played in our high school lobby, I think. Does he, is, so he had a, so for folks who don't know, Gary Flanagan is this um, six foot two monster of a man with a mustache and glasses who looks like your high school math teacher and played music at that time, like Devo meets, I don't know, like a vampire or something. Like we're going to maybe play a track. Yeah, I got a track here that we can play. Yeah, here. anyway, so that was one of the first, he was actually one of the first shows that I ever saw. And he was just like up there with the keyboard playing the weirdest music I'd ever heard. And all of the kids who were at the show were just laughing hysterically and also dancing uh-huh. like all night to this awesome, like synth wave, new wave kind of music. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's really enjoyable. And uh, he, he was appreciated. I remember him at the time being like, it's so cool that you guys are putting out this punk record. And as we were just like 17 or something like that, I'm not even sure how old he, he was older than us, obviously, but I can't. Anyway, he was like a pre, he was already appreciating it. Like he was trying to like. And what was your band across. called John Adam Ian? My first band was called the Wiggly Tysons. Yeah. So did you play at the youth center in Sussex? Yeah, a few times. Yeah. What was that like for you? Uh, it was pretty awesome. Who's I mean, interviewing who here anyway? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, it's, you know. It, we, it's a two-way street. I, I booked the shows too with my buddy Chris Herb. So we booked the shows and then, so we got on a couple bills that maybe we, whatever, we got to play with some bands that maybe we wouldn't have otherwise, but... That's I always one of the, wish one of the breaks. I got it. Like, I, I wish that I could play music, but that was just never a skill that I developed. Never a skill? No, no. But you could, you could still learn. 
theoretically, but I think it's, it would be way harder to learn now than it would have been if I were younger. I did uh, do the obligatory high school classes with like guitar and piano and stuff, but mm-hmm. yeah, I was always more of an appreciator rather than a participant. You could just flip it around and say you want to be a composer and then like you just hit things and if it sounds good, it is good. You don't have to know what you're doing. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Maybe I should get into that. Some avant-garde. Yeah. There's no rules. Just do whatever you want. True. True. Yeah. But I should shout out my parents thinking about the old scene because they actually, when I got into a band, I didn't know local band. I didn't know local music was a thing at all. I just like much music. I had zero idea that there's any bands ever around. So when I started jamming with people, it was like, oh, we're going to be the band in like <laughs> in New <Sussex>. Brunswick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then my dad booked us a show to, at a hall, like my first cover band before the Weekly Tysons actually. And uh, I was just like, what do you mean? You're going to rent us a venue? He's like, yeah, we'll just do it and rent sound and- you guys, can, you guys can have a dance. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can have a dance. Yeah. So how'd it go? It was awesome. Yeah. There was like a hundred people or something. It kind of started, it kind of like kickstarted the scene in Sussex. And like, we were playing hilarious covers like uh, Break Stuff by Limp Bizkit, <laughs> Bodies by Drowning Pool. Did Top your Suey. dad go to the show? My dad went to all the shows, my dad and my mom. So I, I used to joke that they've seen way cooler, more cooler bands than my friends have. Cause they were at every show, even though my friends like, didn't go to all the shows, you know? See, on parents and bands, like my mom was just like tolerant of me going to shows and raves and all the things that I did at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't really like the music or really get it at all, but she she kind of would let me stay out late to do that stuff. Yeah. So that was her contribution to me. That's huge. There's lots of people I had that a lot of freedom. That. I had yeah. a lot of freedom to just, you know, stay it, I would, like relatively late for a high school student and either like work at my job at Tim Hortons or go to shows or mm-hmm. whatever I wanted. Basically. I, I do wonder now whether I would have that much freedom if I was growing up now. Like I feel like um, teenagers have more surveillance yeah, because their parents are all worried about them being on TikTok and developing bad habits and mm-hmm. poor sleep hygiene. So they're like under constant watch from their, their folks as yeah. to what they're up to. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, like I think you and I grew up in the generation where when you were really little, you'd play outside all day and no one really supervised you at all. And then they'd holler at you for dinner. And then when I was a teenager, it was like, okay, well go get your part-time job. And basically as long as you're showing up at school, whatever else you want to do for extracurricular is fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's pretty similar. Um, it'll be interesting to see what it's like when like you know, fast forward another 20 years. I wonder what the next generation will be saying about how, how things weren't, weren't as invasive when they were. But then we'll be like in an agrarian, like post-apocalyptic scenario and this radio studio will will be like the last thing left. And they'll be like, that was when society still existed. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be broadcasting. This will be fortified. So it'll be a bunker. We're just broadcasting the last, uh, there's a movie about that called Pontypool. Have you ever heard of this? No, I never heard of it. It's about a radio broadcaster who's, uh, basically broadcasting through the zombie invasion. Oh, really? Yeah. And you should really watch that. Pontypool? Pontypool. It's a, named after the, t- it's a Canadian film, actually. Oh, cool. Pontypool is the name of the town in Ontario where it's set. Okay. And uh, it is about a, a radio broadcaster who is, um, the studio is being like surrounded basically by a malevolent force. Okay. And he's got to just keep broadcasting. So that's what it's going to be like when the people look back on are distant, uh, increasingly distant youths in uh-huh. St. John in the early 2000s. Let's <laughs> be like in the fortified studio. Okay. Reflecting on it. Yeah, I guess I could. I mean, if, if it's the end anyway, I'll, I could volunteer to do that. Okay. So I think you'd be good at it. I'll throw that out there. I don't know what my wife would think, but uh, <laughs> too, too bad, Kendall. <laughs> shout out to Kendall. Yeah, shout out to Kendall. She can, uh, yeah, I don't know. 
<laughs> she can help fortify the walls. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Um, maybe do you want to, I kind of want to play that, uh, Gary Flanagan. That Gary Flanagan. Let's do now? it since there's okay. overlap between our, um, experiences of him and going yeah, to that's see pretty shows. hilarious. Yeah. Okay. Let's yeah. play it. Yeah. You just pull it up here. So this is actually from, uh, a live at local FM. Well, like a local FM fundraiser. No way. Yeah. Is this okay. This track. Let's... So it's from Slack Sabbath. So it's a live track of uh, candy by Gary Flanagan. All right, here we go. Who likes candy? You like candy? I got some candy for you. This song is called Candy. Every time I say candy, you're going to yell it right back at me. And if you do a good job, I'll give you some candy. Candy is good for me. 
and it's good for you. Welcome back to the Radical Fabulatorium. Hello, Julia. Hello. So we just heard Josh Hicks' song Hands. And before that, it was uh, Candy by Gary Flanagan. A couple cool tunes. So Gary's like connected to both our past and Josh Hicks is like a new artist that I kind of came across last year. Yeah, he's got a cool voice and there's something about that that's just, uh, it's got a real mood. Yeah. Yeah, I saw him perform live just acoustic and there was some sort of weird, I don't know, it just felt... 
it's just, it's just a weird feeling I have about most. And then most of his music that I've heard him do, he does some rapping too by Jack Awful and hip hop's not really my thing. So, um, I can't really speak on that. It sounds like it's good. It'd be cool if someone could confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a listen and confirm. Okay, I cool. kind of, you know, the whole dual um, folk singer songwriter acoustic or could do an acoustic set and also does hip hop thing is like uh, Stephen Hero and David R. Elliott. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another artist who does double duty as a hip hop artist and also has like rock, alt rock stuff that he does. Is, so that's the same person? Yeah, I oh, know. Oh, I okay, didn't know that. Hilariously, Stephen Hero and David R. Elliott and Matt Elliott are the same guy. Okay. He's Steve, Matt, Dave, the mm-hmm. three most normal names ever. And they're all the same guy, except he does different music under each of those names. So I'm okay. sorry, Steve, Matt, Dave, I'm blowing Steve. your cover right now. <laughs> yeah. My mind's blown. If I was going to choose an alter ego, I would choose a way more creative name than that though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something like Brunhilda. Brunhilda. <laughs> <laughs> or something equally yeah. you know, out there. I think Steven Hero has a nice ring to it though. I love that as, a, a, as name. a name. Yeah, yeah. It's an artist name. Um, not to go too deep down the Stephen hero, you know, rabbit hole, but he did an amazing show at Haven music hall a few weeks ago, which was like performance art of this album that he did all about the urban legends of St. John called paper flowers. Okay. And, uh, it was all about, um, local lore and, uh, weird tales, urban legends that people tell here in the city. Cool. And, uh, he, it had a, like a visual component with um, projections and costumes and stuff. And uh, I thought that was a cool, like leaning into that idea of becoming somebody else Mm -hmm. in your music and uh, really making it an experience rather than just like a show. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Creating an entire character. Like Gary Flanagan. Yeah. Like you're right. Yeah. Like Gary Flanagan. Yeah. We were talking about, in case you missed it before, uh, John Adamy and I were talking about, um, Gary Flanagan kind of being like this Devo-esque figure in the early 2000s St. John and that track that we just played before that. If you can picture this like incredibly tall, um, imposing guy wearing like a suit and tie throwing, uh, like rockets and lifesavers and stuff. (laughs) But, you know, for me, the reason why um, that song kind of resonated with me is because there's a line in it that goes, well, there's several St. John related lines in it. Like, for example, one of them is, you know, candy makes me feel 10 feet tall. McAllister Place is in St. John. And I remember as a teen listening, like, oh, my God, he's talking about us. He's talking about McAllister Place. Like, I know that place. Uh-huh. And as silly as that is, it made me realize that you could uh, make music about St. John. You could make art about St. John okay. and that people would actually come out and, and see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And he's a one man, he's a one man band really. Right. So that's worth one man guy, just him and a keyboard and some beats. Uh That's it. That's cool. You don't need much. Yeah. So he was always writing about, uh, did he, did he write a lot of songs about St. John that you can can remember? Like, I think that there was little, there'd be little St. John Easter eggs in a lot of the songs. (laughs) And uh, I think he ad libbed a lot too. So sometimes maybe that song would show up differently depending on when and where he played it. But, um, yeah, like I always enjoyed hearing songs about this place because it's rare. It was, it felt rare anyway. Do you hear mm-hmm. people romanticize St. John? It was like, cool. Yeah. That actually makes me think of an article you wrote in the summer about, uh, I played a song of his, oh, it's actually right in front of me right here. Oh, Mort, <laughs> oh as a matter of fact. Yeah. It just happens to be right here. Look. Oh, there it is. There it is. I, well, when you mentioned Mort Garson, I wondered if that was because you read that article. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was reading that. I'm like, this is crazy. This guy's from St. John. He sound like he's I know he moved away when he was pretty young, but... Should I give a little capsule biography of Mort Yeah, Garrison? go for it. Yeah, I was going to ask you to. Okay, so this is a story that I had no idea existed until the summer when um, someone said, hey, did you ever heard of uh, Plantasia? 
And I was like, vaguely, isn't that weird Moog synth album, you know, all about uh, the idea that like plants can, can, can hear and respond to, to music and that it makes them grow better and stuff. Like, did you ever hear that when you were a kid that, you know, this theory in the seventies that like playing music for plants was good for them? Yeah. I heard, I I did hear that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. So like this, this guy, Mort Garson, uh, wrote a whole album based on that idea that became fairly popular in the seventies. It sold a lot of records. It was by far his most popular record. It turns out this guy's from St. John. He was born here. He grew up on Douglas Avenue. His dad was like a junk collector who had a scrapyard uh, down on Prince William Street. And um, he collected, the dad collected old streetcars and like, you know, like random metal junk. And so Mort Garson growing up here uh, was around machines a lot. He was really fascinated with um, all kinds of technology and, you know, analog technologies and things like that. And so... Anyway, uh, as he grew up, he uh, became really interested in the Moog synthesizer and uh, went on to have an incredible career in music in California and New York and created this album Plantasia as well as like some other really weird groundbreaking stuff that's found a huge cult following in, uh, in recent years thanks to this label in New York called Sacred Bones. They re-released a lot of his stuff and um, he's just having a moment right now and his story started here. So That's, I did as much as digging as I could into this guy. Like I found uh, his his birth certificate and his death certificate and all the stuff in the provincial archives. Like anything about this, I, I found his daughter in uh, California and called her on the phone. Cool. She was she was very surprised to hear from someone in Canada. Oh yeah, because she knew her dad was from St. John, but like she didn't realize that word that he had been born there, like that people knew that. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, she was really excited that, you know, to have his, her father sort of remembered and his legacy captured in that way. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. St. John guy. That's awesome. Yeah. I know. You kind of, kind of wonder like if you were still with us, what his memories would, would be of the place. Like yeah. his only surviving, uh, the only surviving record of, of, of his time here was like this handwritten journal that he, that he wrote just before he passed away, like kind of telling his life story and his, uh, his daughter, whose name was Damn it, Damn it, which is a <laughs> great name. Um, she sent me uh, photos of his uh, handwritten journal. Oh, cool. So it goes to show, and I know you're a journal person. Mm-hmm. It could, you never know. It might yeah. be worth something someday. To someone. <laughs> <laughs> if he hadn't kept that, I would never have known. Cause his daughter, like he and his daughter didn't really talk about it, but he did write about his time in St. John okay. kind of on his deathbed. And, uh, it was like incredibly useful to my article about him. That's so uh, it gives me hope as someone who keeps a journal that maybe someone will read it someday and be like, thank God you kept that. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll be useful and provide insights and so many uh, insights. Yeah. Yeah. So Deep, many insights. Powerful insights. <laughs> It'll be a work of philosophy in 500 years. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When we are in the post-apocalyptic agrarian um, radio studio, yeah. studio that we'll be rediscovering. I'll be, I'll be reading it verbatim. I'll be preaching it across the airwaves. <laughs> the, when the AI takes over. Yeah, John AI, when he takes yeah. over. <laughs> John AI. Uh, so I, I want to share with that album, the, the Mort Garrison album, Journey to the Moon and Beyond. Yeah. So the song, there's a song called Moon Journey. Am I, did I read it right that that was the song that they played during the moon? Well, they were they That is another critical part. Thank you for reminding me of the Mort Garson story. So after moving away from St. John and establishing his career in New York, um, he had an agent who got him some pretty um, high profile projects. Um, one of which they did a lot of film soundtracks and a lot of TV music because he was not only brilliant on synth, but he was a composer. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He could play anything. And Anyway, um, his, his reputation spread widely within TV and film in, in the U.S. at that time and uh, to CBS where they were looking for a soundtrack for the Apollo 13 moon landing. 
So cool. they played Mort Garson and his uh, groundbreaking electronic soundtrack when the uh, the moon landing occurred on CBS. Wow. So uh, millions and millions of Americans and some Canadians too probably um, heard that and saw that. But few people would have connected that with the name Mort Garson. It was just this weird um, synth soundtrack mm-hmm. to that historic moment. Yeah, and synths would have been so new back then. Like I think it said in the article that... He bought a Moog, one of the, one of the earlier Moogs for it's like pronounced Moog. Moog, believe it or not, it's okay. true. I just I just learned that really Moog when I wrote the article. Yeah, like rhymes with Vogue. Okay, now you can impress oh, your friends oh, with this with trivia. Vogue. It's spelled M double O G. You would think that would mm, be Moog, Moog, but it's, it's Moog. It's Moog. Yeah. So anyway, I interrupted okay. you. Um, yeah, well, then it made me think of Final Fantasy. The, the characters is it Mog or maybe they're Moogs, Muggles. Anyway, <laughs> someone's going to get Brandon Logan in here right now. Yes. Yeah, you're right. We need the Somewhere. Final Fantasy debate. Yeah. Um, we need some pointless filler. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the original, it's Moog? No, it's Moog. No, it's, it's Moog. Moog. It's Moog. 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 Okay. Was 50 grand? I think yeah. it's in the article. It was, that was a it. massive investment. So um, this guy had, like his, his daughter relates how when he was rehearsing, typically it would be beautiful piano scales and melodies coming from his, his studio. But when he got the Moog, it was just like these weird hoots and bleeps and blats. And his family thought he had lost his mind because not only had he spent $50,000 in like 1972 yeah. on this thing, but he did not know how to play it yet, but he figured it out. Hmm. It was a massive risk. And actually, the stuff that he composed with that is now infinitely better known than anything else he ever did. Most of the stuff that he wrote and played on conventional instruments has been mm-hmm. lost to time. It was ephemeral or maybe survives in some obscure films. But uh, but this stuff that he took a total chance on mm-hmm. and spent a lot of his own money trying to perfect and, and pioneer, reverse order, he pioneered it, then he perfected it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, that was the stuff that lasted hmm. and injured. That's interesting. I wonder what it was like in that moment to make that decision to put down that money and then knowing that he'd have to face, I mean, his family or something, right? He'd have to explain himself <laughs> to people, but what? I don't think done. it was easy. Like, but I think that um, he was in, like, he was in a family where they trusted him and they trusted his, uh, his ability to figure it out. And, uh, that's so important. You know, it's like your dad booking the venue for your show and then showing up at the shows or my mom just like letting me kind of run free to do what I wanted. It's like, okay, this doesn't make sense to me (laughs) right now. Like why you spent this money, why you got this weird instrument, but we'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he did, and he lives, you know, he lives on. That's because of that. Mm -hmm. That one big risk. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to go to the moon? <laughs> you want to go to the moon? <laughs> moon journey. Yeah. I guess soon they'll be able, they'll probably be selling tickets to the moon. So on uh, Elon's SpaceX. Elon's going to do it probably. Yeah. Yeah. There's already a group of people going. He's sending up artists actually, or he isn't, but someone who bought the the ride is like handpicked a bunch of artists to go up so they can get the ex- the experience. I feel like this is going to end like that submarine ended maybe. Like- oh, it could be, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I would be signing up for that moon journey mm-hmm. quite yet. I want to wait until it's like an ironclad or as or, or as, as like as as certain as I can be that I'm not going to get sucked into the void of space. Yeah, that's when I'm going to start thinking about my own moon journey, but mm-hmm. not before that. Like I'm not going to be one of the early adopters of private intergalactic travel. Yeah, that's probably a safe. That's probably a good approach. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want to be sucked out like a pinhole. Yeah, going up to the moon. Not really. No, but it'd be cool. I wonder if they'll take uh, more. They should take his tunes with them, with them. With that the would be event. a nice full circle moment. Yeah. 
because it's called Moon Journey. So that would be, we should uh, tweet or X uh, Elon Musk. Okay, maybe. I'll get my phone out. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe he'll. <laughs> he uh, reads maybe. all of his replies. Absolutely. So. That's probably his full time job. <laughs> you play cool. the song? Yeah, Moon Journey. You want to play it? Yeah, Let's it do was it. right here. It was in my face. So it must. While we're uh, talking about it. we're talking about it. Yeah, so Moon Journey from that album by Mort Garson. It's pretty applicable for the local St. John scene. Being as he's from here. Yeah. Shout out to Douglas Avenue. Douglas Ave. That's pretty handy to where we are. Yep. I guess we shouldn't. We can dox, shouldn't dox ourselves. <laughs> I think people know where this is. <laughs> it's a campus and yeah, yeah. radio station. They'll never find it. It's the only light on in the building right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, come on in. You're invited, actually. I don't mind. People swing by. Yeah, um, come on over. Okay, so this is Moon Journey by Mort Garson, St. John. Can we call him a legend? Yeah, sure. Okay, St. John legend, legend Mort Garson from uh, newly re-released or rediscovered or released, whatever you want to call it, Journey to the Moon and Beyond. Thank you. 
right, that was uh, Mort Garson with his song Moon Journey. Took me on a journey there a little bit. Me too. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I have been places and I've seen things and now we're back. And now we're back. We're back on Earth after dropping, uh, after taking a journey to the moon. What were we talking about right before we came on the air? Um, we had some, we had an interesting discussion regarding horoscopes and yeah. whether we believe them. But I mean, one of the things that we were discussing was, um, was zine making mm. and uh, how, you know, back in the day, um, things like coffee news, for example, were ubiquitous because uh, people didn't have anything else to read, right? Like you'd be like hanging out, having a, a coffee and, Phones were not as big of a thing. So you just pick up the coffee news or whatever you happen to find around you and just read that. Mm -hmm. So we were discussing that. And then somehow the idea of the horoscopes in the coffee news came up and we we're talking about uh, our own star signs. And I was saying how mm -hmm. I'm a Capricorn, you're, you're a Pisces. And you were saying, wasn't Jesus a Pisces? And I said, no, man, he's a Capricorn. <laughs> he's born on Christmas, but I guess he wasn't. Yeah. The calendars were different, but I'm no scholar. Not a scholar of the Moog versus Moog debate, anyway. <laughs> oh, ouch. It's true. Oh, that my. sounded cool, though. I eh? like Mort Garson is definitely a trip. He has got his own uh, sensibility. And yeah, it's like it's it is otherworldly. It is uh, it, it it's it's good music for a moon journey. Absolutely, it suits the the moon landing vibe. Yeah, I agree. And um, um, maybe we should talk about uh, the, the 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 identical twin thing too. Let's debunk this. Okay. So, um, a shocker, I am an identical <laughs> twin. You have a twin? For real. Oh, no way. Yeah. So, like, you were saying that astrology can be debunked because all you need to do is meet two twins that were born at the exact same time under the same sign, and uh, and but are totally different personality-wise and have yeah. different life trajectories, and that sort of debunks the idea that your star sign means anything. Mm -hmm. I will say that my sister and I, as most twins probably are, are pretty similar. Okay. So maybe um, maybe it's our Capricorn nature asserting itself, or maybe it's just the fact that we grew up uh, in the same house with the same parents. Could be. And we went to the same schools. Okay. So I think that those are more of the factors, the determinants of, of what we're like. That could be. I, I, Capricorn. I, I grew up with twins who, they seemed to me to be different. They were like one person, one of them was in French immersion, there was in English, and they both seemed to have like pretty different personalities. But they would have grown up in that those two different streams, right? Like they wouldn't, they weren't interacting on a daily, all through school, you know. Well, then that would cause your paths and your personalities to diverge if you mm. didn't have any of the same influences. But actually, when I was growing up, uh, we had all of the same. My sister's name's Kate, and she lives uh, in the South Shore now, okay, in, in Nova Scotia. But when we were growing up, we had um, no, no, none of our own independent friends. We had, uh, we were in all the same classes. We shared a room. So really we were like indistinguishable as a person until we were like 10. Okay. Yeah. Like Interesting. We weren't really like, we were undifferentiated. We were just the girls or the twins. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, whether uh, it has to do with our, our star sign though, mm -hmm. probably not. Well, maybe, maybe I've 180. Maybe you've convinced me that astrology <laughs> is real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You ever wonder why they don't sell individual slices of ice cream cake at Dairy Queen? Oh, that is a tragedy that they don't. I would be there every day. I'd be at the Wellesley Avenue DQ crushing a slice every doesn't, day after work. Doesn't that seem obvious? Why? Because you just go like, I mean, to buy a whole cake for like 35 bucks? Yeah, versus a slice. It seems like a moneymaker. Yeah, exactly. Like you should be able to get the slice, right? I would also like to get a slice that is 100% fudge and cookie and that doesn't have any white ice cream. Mm. Do you think they do that for me? Custom made Chocolate. Slice. Sounds like maybe we should open a franchise and then just make our own rules. <laughs> <laughs> 
I bet they would do a chocolate ice cream cake if I, I asked. Yeah, they would. My birthday's coming up. Okay. I'm a Capricorn in case you didn't Oh yeah, know. December. Yeah, December 28th. So Same day as month. my brother's birthday. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, wish him a happy birthday for me. I will. From a fellow Capricorn. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'd get along. Maybe. Happy <laughs> early birthday, Robin. Happy there. early birthday, Robin. <laughs> so I'd like to, I want to gush a little bit more about Josh Hicks if I can. Please. Did I even talk about him much on the air? No, we get on to Gary Flanagan <laughs> and now we're on ice cream cake. So in please, moon landing. In moon landing. So I would love to hear more about Josh Hicks. Josh Hicks. So I saw him play Uptown, um, the little bar that's attached to O'Leary's. It's like this little tiny like hallway bar where they were doing like a folk open mic thing. Right. Anyway, he just got up with acoustic guitar. And for me, it's all about the feeling in his music. I don't, I can't explain it, but I feel like there's something strange going on that like warrants more attention. And I feel like all his, everything I've heard has had this kind of like, I don't know, this feeling to it. And I know I talked to him at that show and he's kind of influenced by like, at least for it, cause he does rapping too, but on this, this kind of indie songwriter stuff, he's uh, kind of like throwing back to early nineties for Shanti when he like quit the chili peppers and kind of mm-hmm. did this weird lo-fi stuff and kind of like Elliot Smith a little bit, but I don't know. There's just something about the way everything that happens in the recordings and the songwriting, I find just warrants some sort of special tension. So people should check out his band camp, uh, six, six Hicks. So that's like the number six, okay. six, six H I X dot, uh, bandcamp.com. I'm going to do that. Maybe we'll uh, give him a spin on my airwaves. Yeah, you definitely should. Yeah. He's got a bunch of, of cool tunes. Yeah. Like hands, his, his album Crystal Reef, well, EP, I guess, but that's a really good place to start for anyone uh, listening. I'm still trying to picture this hallway bar that it's attached to O'Leary's. Yeah, it's right on the. Is it the Richie Room? Is that what they call it? Is it the upper room at O'Leary's? Or is it, it, no, it's on it's the ground floor. It's not part of O'Leary's. Okay. No, it's not part of O'Leary's, but yeah, it's like this tiny little, I don't know, yeah, sidebar. Cool. Yeah. That's a good name for a bar. The sidebar? Yeah. There might be one over west called the sidebar. <laughs> It's closed now, though, I think. Uh, R.I.P. sidebar. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work out. <laughs> what about you, uh, new music for you? Is there any artists that, like, uh, to put you on the spot? Are there any artists? Okay, so um, new music that I'm listening to. I've actually been going back in the catalog. I was thinking the other day how Sadie Donahue, who performs under the, just Sadie, mm-hmm. um, has written some of, I think, the best music to come out of St. John in years, like, um, I made a playlist for the last time I came on the show, which still lives in my Spotify as RadFab CanCon. And uh, I was listening to that actually on the way here. And uh, just thinking about how like her and Jane Blanchard and there are a few other musicians in St. John right now that are creating uh, just amazing stuff. And mm-hmm. I'd love to see more from Sadie. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping for a release. That's what I want for Christmas and my birthday is a new release from Sadie. A Sadie record. Yes. But like new, new stuff. Um, Steven Hero's new album's great. Paper Flowers is awesome. Like, um, I'm not a huge hip hop person either, but, uh, one of the cool things about this record is that it's hundred percent made, produced, written in St. John. Okay. And it's all about St. John. Oh, cool. And actually, um, the reason why I listened to it from start to finish a couple of times was because, uh, well, I, I, I had him on my show mm-hmm. on CBC radio one. And also, um, I, uh, I, 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 some of the songs were like inspired by, by stories that I wrote. Oh, cool. Which was so cool. Cause That's I did the story with the sea monster legend of the Ugwug in reversing falls. Okay. Are you aware of this? I'm legend? not aware of this. So apparently, um, when the moon is full and the gas bro, the fish are running in the spring. Mm-hmm. If you go to a rock overlooking reversing falls and drink a quart of moonshine, <laughs> the quarter moonshine's critical. Okay. Um, then you're going to see a creature that's half salmon and half seal that lives in the caves beneath the rocks. 
Okay. This is a legend mm-hmm. um, in St. John. And I wrote a story about like, how did this ever become a thing? And like, it used to be a tourist kind of uh, slow, like a, a tourist, you know, draw the, the, the story of the sea monster back in the sixties. And anyway, I, I did a story about it for CBC and uh, then Stephen Hero wrote a song about it. Wow. I know it's not every day that you hear a song about a sea monster in St. John. That's cool. And then there's another one about the peace lady. I don't know if you remember her. You grew up in Sussex. She's yeah. another St. John icon who um, used to sit at the, uh, the end of reversing falls bridge on a folding chair and just give the peace sign to everybody. And okay. this is a local, a local figure that everyone knew who she was. And all of these and more are captured on paper flowers by Stephen hero. Wow. So uh, I would give a shout out to that album. Absolutely. It's very creative. It's very cool stuff. Okay. And uh, he's worked a lot on his, uh, on his rapping. Okay. And he's, uh, he's sounding really good right now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Paper flowers. Yeah. I'll grab that, uh, later on. You should do later on tonight. Yeah. Cool. And that still blows my mind that the same person as David R. Elliott. Yeah. Steve, Matt, Dave. Steve, Matt, Dave. So like if I were going to have an alter ego, I could be like Julia, Jen, Amy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just like some really normal names, Uh you know, just a Brunhilde. Brunhilde. Yeah. (laughs) Well, normal. Yeah. Maybe normal names keeps it more. Authentic. Hidden. But yeah, but also hidden. On the day. So like you wouldn't expect it. Just a regular name. Yeah. Hiding brilliance. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Because he just played, David R. Elliott just played at the um, Haven with uh, Chic. Yes. And Diamond Town. Which was a great show, mm-hmm. I'm told. But uh, I turn into a, a bit of a pumpkin early in the evening because I yeah. get up really early for work. So yeah. I miss that one. Yeah. I think they should have some sort of like, because uh, I went out to the show, but it was, then I got too tired. And then sometimes I get like fidgety when I'm in public. So <laughs> I was just like, I can't be here. I got to go. Um, but I wish they had like some sort of page, but I paid, you know, I supported them, but I wish they had some sort of like Patreon or something where I could just donate to Haven monthly just to eliminate old man guilt of not being able to stay up past midnight. Oh, that's a great idea. Like, I mean, I'm sure that Abby and Sid would take an e-transfer. If you really want to assuage your guilt, they would not say no. <laughs> just send <laughs> if they're the listing right now, then yes. But the Patreon makes it more fun. It's like a thing, you know, it's like you're part of a, you're part of a community. Yeah. And you're paying monthly and then they just have some reliable. And, that's a know. good point. Yeah. I, you know, Haven is actually seemingly dominating right now and doing incredibly well. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we need to worry, at least knock on wood for the time being. Um, it seems like people are really supporting that venue. Yeah. It's a and nice the, place. The scene that we grew up with is actually um, like, it pales in comparison to having a dedicated venue like that. Mm-hmm. So it's really awesome to see that happening. Yeah. Especially that. with all age, if they can keep all ages shows going. Yes. Cause that's huge. That always ebbs and flows from my experience talking with people in all scenes, really all across the country. Everyone seems to have a similar all ages story it's like the ones who were teenagers when there was an all ages scene like it births all this creative music stuff and then maybe if there's a lull and there's no like all ages torch past people miss out yeah there's like a whole like four or five year gap or more where that whole generation in high school and stuff they just don't under they're not as connected to the local scene because they can't get to it absolutely true and uh it's nice to have that consistency back in saint john i love 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 it you know one thing i've learned though is that um when it comes to a scene that connects with with people who are under 18, mm-hmm. it's got to be led by that demographic. Yeah. Because, you know, when I got older and organized all ages shows, sometimes it would be a hit. And even if, and we'd always book bands that were in high school um, just to make sure that it did connect in some way with the people who were in that age group that we were trying to attract. But sometimes mm-hmm. it totally was a miss. Like people didn't show up. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I think it all depends on being led by, young people. Mm. You know what I mean? Cause like, let's face it, I'm, I'm not that young anymore. So I think that's the takeaway is mm-hmm. that in order to have like a really vibrant all ages scene, you got to have youth that are involved in it and leading it. Yeah. 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 It makes a lot of sense. When I think back to 
holding shows like that. The kids would come and see that, yeah, you're doing the show. These bands are coming here. And then everyone starts to, not everyone, but a bunch of people start picking up instruments themselves and totally. then they want to be in the bands so they can come play a show. And then it all goes from there. Yeah. It all goes from there. That's a good point. That's tough. I know there's a, I want to shout out, uh, there's a, there's a scene called the scene in Woodstock. Have you heard of, have you seen any of these shows no, pop up on I have not. So they're doing a bunch of all ages shows and bar shows up in Woodstock. Um, they've had bands like Botfly just played there. Who are really crazy good. Crazy good. I saw them yeah. at Paris Crew Cafe before they closed. And that was a show that was organized by Amelia Bailey, who's a Z-maker locally and um, really good friends with the guys in Love Over. Cool. And they brought Botfly here for an all ages show. Oh, nice. And I was like, the kids are fine. I was mm-hmm. like, I do not need to worry about this scene because there were literally 150 people there. Mm-hmm. That's it, awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Cool. Yeah, so that's so that's going on in Woodstock. That's a pretty small town. They had Chastity. I don't know if you know that band no. uh, from Ontario. They're on Dine Alone Records. Go Woodstock. So, so yeah, go Woodstock. The scene promotions or is it productions? Either way, <laughs> it's it's cool. Yeah, it's awesome seeing that happen. That's and awesome. there was an all ages show in Sussex uh, a month or two ago at the Lions Club. Passing that torch. Someone's passion passing the torch. Yeah, that's awesome. Are we almost uh, burning through our time here? Yeah, we got two minutes, two minutes and six seconds left. Should we end on a song? Let's end on a song. Thanks for this chat. No problem. Thank you for for coming in. Let's do I appreciate it. Again it. Sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a uh, this is always fun. I kind of it's it's been really nice telling other people's stories and stuff. Like I've being able to promote art and being involved in music without having to talk about my own is so nice. <laughs> So freeing. This is the power of hosting a show. Yeah, it's nice because before talking about art always, or like feeling like I had to promote something, it was like me promoting my own stuff and it just, I just hated it. But now I can just like promote stuff I like that's other people. That's great. I just wanted to throw that out there. Glad to be know. part of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. All right. Um, uh, let's just throw on another, uh, I'm going to throw on another Josh Hicks since I'm at the, I'm at the control here. So this is Your Fable by Josh Hicks. You've been listening to the Radical Fabulatorium on Local FM 107.3. You can check us out online at localfm.ca and you can check out my uh, batch of old interviews at theradfab.com. Thanks for listening. Here's Josh Hicks, your fable. Thanks a lot for coming in, Julia. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Dear love.